Welcome to Help From Future Self. What's happening, Icons? Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I am also known as Alex, and I am joined this week, as always, by my good friend and coach, my Keyforge compadre. It's Boulevard Paper Fight. What's going on, Blake? Yeah, what's going on, man? And a very special first-time guest on the podcast, we've got Sydney Steele from the Grey Riders. Welcome to Help from Future Self, Sydney. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, so I guess for the folks that have not had the pleasure of playing you in a game of Keyforge, either in real life or online, can you give us a little bit of your history with the game of Keyforge? Absolutely. So we heard about it at Gen Con when it was first announced, but we ended up playing in a pre-release at one of our local conventions. It was in Wisconsin and me and my friends picked it up and some of our best Coda decks were actually from that convention. And we've been hooked ever since. We've actually flown all over the country to go to vault tours and we are so waiting to play in person again. Oh yeah, we all are for sure. So have you been playing a lot online uh, just while the organized play has not been a thing that's uh, happening in person? Absolutely. I'm really, really excited that everybody has stepped up and run tournaments and there are things going on that people can still participate in. It's one of my favorite things to do in in an afternoon. Yeah, it's definitely how we met, actually, oddly enough, was playing in the uh, KFPL this past weekend and you uh, expressed your your love for the podcast. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I should see if you want to come on since we can talk a little bit about that as well as learn a bit more about you absolutely what was the experience of playing in the kfpl like for both of y'all i really enjoyed it i picked a completely different deck than i normally would because of the the style of the win condition for the most recent qualifiers and it was so much fun to play out of curiosity Mm -hmm. what was the win condition you had to forge more keys with you and your partner than, than the other team. So if you got two keys, even if you lost, you were still credited with those two keys for the round, and your team's total of keys were what was scored for the round. And for the overall ranking as well. What kind of a deck did you end up playing for that? I'm curious. Oh, it was a rush deck. I picked it because it had three different cards that would get me three amber on play. It had two Eurekas and a Swindle. And then a, a really fun card, Oath of Poverty, and five artifacts. And the Oath of Poverty is a sanctum card that when you play it, you can um, discard your cards in play and you get two amber per card that you, uh, per artifact that you've discarded. So it was, it was just a lot of fun. Let me just say that I would hate playing against that deck. Uh, Blake, what I did didn't you hate play? playing against it. I lost badly to Sydney <laughs> when we did play. <laughs> it was playing, not close Blake? at all. What was I playing? Yeah. So I was going for my uh, my rush deck from Coda that I have uh, OTK'd before. I forged three keys in one turn more than once with that deck. So I thought in a in a game where you where the objective is to forge keys, it was really like potent to be able to just suddenly forge a key without your opponent being able to have that turn. And a lot of times that actually did help me, where I would do a situation where. I could actually just forge and win before my opponent could forge that second key. Like they didn't have the chance to respond to stop me. And then they get that second key. So I was hampering their moving forward in the game. But then other times when I was losing, I could just forge that second key knowing that they were going to win no matter what next turn and give me that extra key. So oddly enough, my deck was very much centered around key cheats. Nice. And that is a perfect segue into our topic for today. 
which is Key Cheats, their history with the game and where we stand now with them. I'm looking at this terrific spreadsheet that Sydney put together <laughs> unbidden um, for the topic of the show that breaks down all of the different Key Cheats that have existed throughout Keyforge. There's actually more than I thought. I know, right? If I had sat down to actually make the list, I would have expected to be like probably quite a bit shorter than the one that we have here. But looking at it, there's quite a few of them and a few that I completely forgot about. I want to start off the conversation with a very simple question. Sydney, leaving aside what I think are objectively probably the best key cheats in the game, <laughs> at least, you know, for more broadly, objectively, the best key cheats in the game. I'm sure there's some other key cheats that are better in specific decks. Chota Hazri and Key Charge. What is your favorite key cheat in Keyforge? That is an easy answer for me, and that is Triumph in Saurian mm. for multiple reasons. Um, I really like the fact that it actually doesn't have an amber cost. Those are some of my favorite key cheats in general. But it also, it has a fun risk reward to it because at the end of using the key cheat, you have at least six creatures on the board that are exalted. And so you are really putting yourself out there to risk getting the key. Mm, okay. I like that one. I, I actually have um, a few combo decks, I call them, um, that are Imperial Forge Triumph decks. So the idea nice. is you can pull off the Triumph and then the Imperial Forge right afterwards. It's a, it's a little finicky, but it's, it's a, you know, Magic Christmas Land possibilities. <laughs> what about yourself, Blake? What's your favorite? Okay, so I'm going to have some stories to go along with with mine because they do relate to the KFPL, and we were talking about that. And um, unfortunately, um, my, my initial response was to say redacted just because of the nature of you don't have artifact control. It's like a guaranteed key at some point where you can literally know your opponent. All they have to do is call Logos, and they, they can forge that third key, which is quite an ominous feeling. So I think maybe redacted is my favorite, but... After this past weekend, I have a newfound love for Keyfrog. And that's because um, my partner, Scrowner, the Martian of Generosity, as some people know him, uh, was who I played the tournament with. And he had this deck that was a mass mutation, obviously, that had this Keyfrog play that he could do, which required Punctuated Equilibrium, Savage Clash, and Commune. And he did some tricks with this deck that were like, they were highlight reel plays that I was literally geeking out so hard when it happened. I haven't had that much fun watching someone else make Keyforge plays in a long time. And he was in this one game where he was dead to rights against uh, a Martian Generosity Key Abduction deck. Like I saw what the guy was doing. I'm talking to him on Discord while he's playing because I finished my game. And I saw him like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're done. Like, I don't think you can win at all. He's going to next turn get back his Martian Generosity and his deck so thin, he's going to filter his key abduction twice, be holding 20 cards, and then just get two keys in one turn. And he's already got that one from last turn. I'm like, you're done. I'm like, I don't think you can do anything, so just play it out. Little did I know, he had the, I believe it's called the Lyco, uh, Lyco Beast, which when you fight, you get to look at the top three cards. So what does he find in his top three, and oh. I forgot was in his deck? A Punctuated uh -oh. Equilibrium. So he proceeds then to punctuate equilibrium his opponent holding his entire deck in hand, which was like tantamount to make <laughs> his key abduction win con. Yes, it was so sick. And then not only that, he drew into his key frog and commune. And his commune is the sickest thing I've ever seen because what he does is he drops the key frog. The commune then has two damage pips on it. So you pop your key frog 
because you have the ember because he has a vault blessing as well. So that's part of the combo. Vault blessing pops the keyfrog with the commune, forges a key, goes to zero, and then the commune takes effects, ends his turn, and gives him four ember. Sickest thing I've ever seen. That I couldn't disgusting. believe it. I was like, that's what? insane. And then he did it again using the Savage Clash because he had Gloriana's attendance in it. So he could do the same thing where put the key frogs out there, use the Vault Blessing, and then the Savage Clash pops the key frog and keeps the Gloriana's attendant and also wipes his opponent's board. It was my appreciation for the things you can do with key frog in Mass Mutation went to a whole nother level where I'm just like, wow, I never appreciated this guy until this moment watching uh, Scrounder hit these highlight real plays. Yeah, Keyfrog's great. Like as a as a card that adds a ton of depth to Keyforge, I totally love it. I gotta go with a card that I think doesn't get enough love uh, in the world of Keyforge and doesn't get enough love in the world of Key Cheats. I'm a big Might Makes Right guy. Um, <laughs> Might Makes Right is fun, um, and especially was super fun, I think, in the AOA era when it was just Coda and AOA in play because people generally didn't see it coming, and the board-based game made it fairly, like, consistent to pull off. It was not great on a first key or second key for obvious reasons. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, basically you're, you're sacrificing so much of your board, but because it was so great for... People didn't see it coming on third key, it won a lot of games for me with some specific decks. And, of course, if you're winning the game, who cares if you're sacrificing sacrificing your entire battle line you know but just doing that mental math and then having decks that could also increase the power of your creatures in order to make it go off was was a lot of fun for me so uh outside of you know tons of great classic you know wins that you pull off playing a chota hasri or a key charge i think might makes right um is probably my favorite next question and this one's very simple and straightforward have either of you ever pulled off key of darkness nope nope I don't even try. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever actually seen a key of darkness get pulled off in a game. I I'm haven't thinking- done I haven't done Nightforge either. Either of those Shadows key cheats are just not my jam. Mhm. I mean Yeah, I would agree. There's I think part- you know what it is is I think it held a place when bait and switch could go infinite. Like there was no limit. Good call. Or like a TMTP, I think that's when you can kind of and get a really strong burst from it. But I think it again, it's just so finicky that it doesn't really work anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's always been been a tall order. And I guess it was like the only comfort you could have back in the Coda Shadows era before the nerfs came down and before they started really changing the the makeup of that house was the oh well, I mean, you know, sure, there's tons of one-off shadows cards that can completely win you the game, but at least they don't have a good key cheat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, with that understanding, um, I want to talk a little bit about where you think we're at with key cheats in Keyforge right now, because if we're talking about just the current set, the ones that exist in Mass Mutation are uh, you can use Desire, one of the seven sins in Dis, uh, Obsidian Forge also in Dis, Redacted is still present in Logos, Forging an Alliance and Star Alliance, and Keyfrog, and those are the key cheats in mass mutation, I think those are all feasible to do pretty well, but not as easily as the classic key cheats of key charge and Chota Hasri. Do you think that there's been a general change in the philosophy of key cheats as far as the designers of the game have uh, sort of gone forward? Because I think that they're very different in some ways than the classic reliable key cheats. I think Worlds Collide actually falls quite in the middle of that because Saurian came out very strong with three key cheats in its first set, but not only have none of them been reprinted, but they just haven't 
kept up with the the strength of the key cheats that came out in mass mutation. So mm-hmm. I think that a key cheat probably has a house feel to it. And those are what keeps a house strong, like Untamed or, or Dis in this case, where they didn't have that many. Dis didn't have any key cheats in Coda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. They uh, waited quite some time before they took like the third set to even get a key cheat. Yeah, I think for me, I think that they they have de-emphasized key cheats in a way. And I find it interesting that Redacted stayed around instead of Dataforge, for example. Like mm-hmm. Dataforge mm-hmm. came for one set and was gone. And then Redacted came back, which I love because um, I think it's such a great card. But it, it also emphasized like the these artifact key cheats became a new thing because I don't think those existed. Um, just looking at this great... Um, spreadsheet we have from <laughs> Sydney. Um, they only came in Worlds Collide, actually, because that was Obsidian Forge, I think, was the first one, and Colosseum. Epic mm-hmm. Quest is an artifact, isn't it? The which one? Oh, yeah, Epic Quest, right. Epic Quest was the first one, but I feel like that's such a, like, dud, you know, one, that it really was, like, I don't know what it is with Epic Quest. Maybe you guys can speak to this as well, but I found, like, when you got it, like, those were the decks where you had the least amount of knights. If you looked at, like, okay, maximum number of knights I had in Sanctum, those were my least always, like the least amount of creatures, the least amount of knights were always decks that had epic quests. It's like the algorithm like programmed it that way. I don't know. I have a fun epic quest story. I was in the sealed at Gen Con and I was the uh, lowest seated uh, three in one. And so I needed to win my game to move on to the next day. Mm-hmm. And because I was the lowest seated, I was actually playing someone who was two and two at the time. And so once he realized that he, he was he wasn't playing for anything and I ended up like actually caring about the game. I think he, he, he didn't throw the game, but he went for his Epic quest. Like his whole goal, that game was to get his Epic quest to go off. And I think, I think that was a, a nod to knowing that I was actually interested in making the next day of, of Gen Con. Mm -hmm. That is a cool story. I think my thing with Epic quest is that, it's so involved to get it to go off. It feels like a triumph to make it happen. Yes. But also it so rarely wins you the game because uh-huh. there's yeah. so many other archetypes that are so much faster and can more easily get to that third key. So the idea of like really building your strategy around trying to make epic quest happen seems like just a non-winner in a competitive sort of setting i i almost feel like epic quest is the kind of thing you play a variation around like everybody bring your best epic quest game and we're playing to three keys and your third key can only be forged <laughs> with epic quest or something to that effect sure yeah, yeah i honestly like that. think that data forge is is a strictly worse key abduction because it costs one more to forge a key with and it actually doesn't return anything to your hand so other than other than the fact that it's in logos it's it's all of the other key cheats are quite unique from each other, and Dataforge just happens to sneak in there right under key abduction. I honestly think we won't see that card again. Mm-hmm. I think totally. Redacted was a testament to that. Because the funny thing is, though, is that Dataforge actually would have made sense in mass mutation because of autoencoder, and there's just <gasps> yes. more ways that you can do it. Like, you have the Ultra Gravitrons throwing five things in. Like, there's just more ways that it would actually be viable. But I think at the same time, it kind of made, it would have made Logos really bonkers. I'm I'm sort of interested in talking a little bit about key abduction because it's almost become like an archetype unto itself 
Mm-hmm. It's um, the celebrity key cheat, I feel like. Yeah. It's the yeah. one, like, you know, with Martian generosity, that combo, it's become like the hot key cheat. Like it's trendy. Like it feels, you feel like it's like a designer, you know, sort of article that you have with you when you have that. Like people go, oh, you got the MGK. <laughs> the Genka. Um, yeah. out, out of curiosity, uh, Sydney, you ever play any like hot key abduction decks? Do you have anything that can make good use of key abduction, either Battle Fleet or uh, Martian Generosity? I have not. Key abduction, although I have a warm place in my heart from Mars, key abduction has never been a forte of mine. I usually just do it to return my opponent's Mars creatures to their hand, if if that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always kind of fascinated by the key abduction math. Because I've never been good at it, and any deck I've ever had <laughs> with it in it, I've found that it's been very difficult to get it to go off. And so, like you know, because I don't have a Genka deck and I don't have a Battle Fleet uh, key abduction deck, but I do have decks with key abduction in it. And so, there's always the part of me that's trying to figure out the math of how much it would cost to forge this key, and if I can <laughs> reap out enough times, and if I've got enough Mars guys sitting on the board to bring it back. And so, I find that whenever I'm playing it, like I spend a lot of time like just doing the mental addition and arithmetic and trying to get it all to work, which is kind of uncommon, I guess, except for data forge and uh, a few of the other cards that uh, you sort of Obsidian rely. Forge. Yeah. Yeah. Obsidian forge that kind of rely more on uh, uh, that kind of setup. Blake, do you find you spend a lot of math, uh, math time with key abduction? Not as much as I do with might makes right. And because I have <laughs> that double might makes right deck, mm. I really needed to get good at counting that up. But I, I see what you're saying in terms of like, yes, you do because the draw and then the there is a little bit more math, especially when you're when it's the Genka side of it. But I mean, let's talk about key abduction in the sense that the support that key cheat has had through its existence. Because mm-hmm. we had total recall and battle fleet both existed to combo off. And then we got Martian generosity after that. It's just kind of interesting to see that it's kind of such a supported key cheat in the way that it is. And some of the other ones did not have that same support. Like obviously we know that untamed did because the hunting, witches and full moons all created that the way that you could combo that off as well. And I kind of want to talk about along this line is the general nature of combos within key cheats. Cause it seems like key cheats are combo plays. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I honestly think that anything with an Amber pip was, was, decidedly made better because it makes the cost one less. So it, it makes the math harder, but it also means that it's being supported in that whatever the cost is written on the card, it costs one less than it would otherwise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is, you know, why they took the pip off of key charge back in the day because they realized it didn't make any sense with the plus one or minus one. Although now that I'm thinking about it and I've never thought about this before, do you think that was kind of the point? of the minus or like you have to pay one plus cost and key charge had a pip on it in like the original, original printings that came with the, um, the, uh, the practice decks that came in the original starter sets. Do you think that was the the philosophy behind it? And then they were like, wait, that's crazy. Let's take that pip off. And suddenly it was just a, then a tax on forging a key. I wonder if that was the case. Yeah. That could have been the origin story. Yeah. Um, we, we can't not talk about key charge and Choda Hasri because they are, the most venerable, the easiest to use, and have probably won more games than any other key cheat combined. <laughs> um, I know that I've personally had that experience, and I still have that experience playing like new AOA decks that I've opened up. I'm still winning games uh, getting off a key charge or a Chota Hazri. Um, 
I think it's fascinating that they decided to put those in the house that could most easily take advantage of them on a single turn back in the Coda era. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With all of the creature manipulation, being able to put Chota back into your hand or back into your deck or from your discard pile, it just made sense that Chota was incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's I also find it's interesting like how things from the past evolve over time in a way as well. So like for example, like I had you have a Coda deck, and obviously nature's call and Chota is a thing. So you play it for your key, pull them back to your hand so you can use them again. But then you suddenly have this mechanic called Exalt. And so you can suddenly <laughs> nature's call these fat ember pinatas back up to your <laughs> opponent's hand. And then suddenly you pull back your Chota and then you play it again. It kind of made it an interesting proposition now of playing around it. And and that's one thing I think is so unique about Keyforge is over time how new cards that are, have nothing to do with your deck that exists suddenly change the dynamics of what your deck can do. And I think that's something that's so crazy about this game. The opposite direction is also incredibly true as well. Once Infernus was introduced, a lot of Chota Hazri, a lot of decks that succeed with Chota Hazri have things in it like Fertility Chant and Dust Pixie, but those are now hugely vulnerable to Infernus. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that the the decks that surrounded the powerful Chota Hazri plays have now gotten a bit weaker as well. Mm-hmm. That almost totally. makes me wonder if the designers of Keyforge are looking at like designing cards like Inferno specifically to counter those <laughs> combos. And it makes you wonder if the testing pool has decks in it that make them feel like that's a priority for them to deal with. Because I think out in the wild, we oftentimes see things like, you know, uh, Genka and, you know, sort of these OTK type decks as being these real threats in competitive play. And I sometimes wonder if the design team isn't looking at the same things that we are when they're designing, because as much as, you know, we, we saw crazy rush decks in Coda and even into AOA that would use, you know, untamed burst and combine it with key charge to win games and recur the key charge to win games, you know, in several different ways. It's almost one of those things that I don't necessarily feel like it really needed addressing necessarily, mm-hmm. not in the same way that I feel like certain cards like, uh, you know, uh, bait and switch needed addressing or that uh, the, the library access combo with Nepenthe seed needed addressing. There are a lot of things about Shoda that probably wouldn't be as powerful in current sets if it were in current sets. So leaving it be powerful in Coda is is probably part of the designer's intent to just let it lie. I like that. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm also thinking about how how you said people the Infernus, the Infernus response, I think, was such an interesting point that you brought up because without a doubt, Infernus is the staple of competitive play right now it feels like mm-hmm. like you see and i think there was like even stats to support that like in furnace decks were one of the most common things you would find in competitive play and i think part of that is because it shuts down a lot of combos like now genka you just purge a key abduction or a martian generosity or both and suddenly now you've just nerfed someone's entire deck and there's more things in that like the the level of not just being ember control but also deck control in a way because it disrupts certain pieces that are so crucial to the success i think is such an interesting thing that it did and it does really disrupt a lot of these key cheat combos that exist as a result that's How one of the reasons feel- oh sorry, sorry go, ahead. go ahead sydney that's one of the reasons that i really like the key cheats that don't actually have a cost to them because it's really hard to disrupt them because you actually have to go towards some other aspect than amber to get them to not go off Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. 
and that totally relies on your opponent to look at your deck list, recognize the key cheat, see the might makes right and goes, okay, under no circumstances can I allow my opponent to have a huge board of 25 power (laughs) or they're going to be able to forge a key. Let me ask you a question about key frog. Is Keyfrog the best? Because I kind of really love Keyfrog just in terms of the dimension it adds to the game. Because unlike Chota Hasrian Key Charge that were played out of hand and just went off if you had the requisite amount of amber, Keyfrog, it's unless you have a deck very specifically geared towards it, hard to get him off the table the turn you drop him. And so it always adds kind of a threat to your opponent but Absolutely. also gives them an opportunity to respond to it before you can really make Keyfrog go off in most scenarios. It's also, if you have enough Amber that you put it down and you could forge with it, even if they get you off a key, they know that you have it there so that on your turn, you can pull a different house, get enough Amber to be above what it costs to forge and kill your key frog. So they need to not kill it on their turn because you're going to forge anyway, but then also try and get you low enough so that you can't use it to forge on your next turn. It's a super dynamic card. Mm-hmm. Totally. I agree. It's, 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 it's a, it poses a threat. That's so weird. It's like, you want to kill it, even though at the same time, it's, it's a two power creature. Like it almost like poses no threat and such a great threat all in the same breath. Mm-hmm. Blake, you're a big redacted guy. Do you think that there is a point where it's too late to play redacted and have it go off? Because I find that if I can get it down on a very early turn, it's almost guaranteed that I will get it to go off unless my opponent has artifact control. But many games, if I don't see it till about halfway through my deck, I find it doesn't go off. Hmm. Um, I don't think the term too late it's just it may not work it's it's nice to have it as a threat on the board as an insurance policy because sometimes you don't know a game's gonna go long i think if you have a deck that has really good ember control it can be really positive because then you can just have those chances to go into logos and keep going especially if it cycles and stuff so uh, i don't think there's such thing as too late but it's the odds i think is what start to uh come into different different numbers in terms of uh, success happening but but having that threat on the board of the redacted is is a really interesting thing because then your opponent suddenly now has to start playing maybe a little bit more differently than their deck may want to like what if they're a deck that reacts to everything you're doing and it's more defensive and suddenly you have to go offensive because if they just chill and react to you you can literally just go logos pass logos right. pass and if they're not doing enough to to stop that situation then you just win potentially and you also have to watch out for certain artifact control that steals artifacts from you. Obsidian Forge and Redacted are super scary mm-hmm. to play if your opponent has like Borrow or Nexus in their deck. Whereas something along the lines of like the Colosseum, I guess the only other artifact, I'm not afraid to play that if they have artifact control in their deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Totally. I'm a big Obsidian Forge nerd. Um, I really like it. Um, I find that oftentimes I don't even use it for its intended like key cheat purpose. Sometimes it's literally just killing creatures on my own side if I'm playing a Quixel deck or something like that. Like I really like the design of that card because I find it has utility that is perhaps even unintended by the designers who originally thought of it as just a, oh, it's a way for you to, you know, cheat a key. And instead it sort of feels like it has a little bit more variety uh, in, in ways that it can be utilized in certain specific deck archetypes. Absolutely. My favorite part about Obsidian Forge is that if you don't forge a key, it isn't destroyed. So it's something that you can get continued versatility out of until you can either mathematically forge a key or you just decide to. Like it literally can kill Keyfrog and just Mm -hmm. it's a way to to kill Keyfrog on a disc turn. I mean, 
I suppose they're in some in some wild place if you could really burst really high. There's I'm sure there's some way you could go obsidian forge desire key frog and get three keys. Like, I'm sure <laughs> it could happen. Totally. And that's one of the beautiful things about the game of Keyforge. We're getting close to sort of time for the episode, but I wanted to give everybody sort of an opportunity to sort of give their thoughts on whether or not they think that Keyforge uh, keys are being phased down or phased out. I kind of feel like it's one of those things that we aren't going to see continued easy to pull off key cheats, and they're probably going to favor key cheats that while not as difficult to get happen as key of darkness as in it's almost impossible to make happen that probably aren't as simple or that have an added dimensionality to them and does that idea resonate with you do you think we'll continue to see key cheats but more complex key cheats or more difficult to pull off key cheats or do you think they'll phase them out entirely sydney Oh, I actually think that they'll probably come back, but as personality of different houses, just like the the three that popped up with Sorian, the one, the first set it was introduced, I feel like if they want a set or a house to have key cheats in them, they'll do it in style. I don't think that it's a an overall Keyforge trend that it's going to go away, but I do think that it will depend heavily on the houses that we see in the future. Yeah, I, f- I feel like... Like I honestly love Imperial Forge. I think it's such a great flavor for Sorian because it's utilizing such a strong mechanic for them. I'm only wondering the reason why we may not see it is because of the fact that Sanctum is also providing capture on top of it. And that's maybe why it didn't stick around because it does feel like it has the right flavor for me. And then obviously sure. Colosseum, there's way more fighting it feels like in Mass Mutation. So that also, I feel like maybe caused Colosseum to be a little bit more, you know, iffy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think like Obsidian Forge and Keyfrog are kind of the, in a way, a benchmark of of what Keycheat should start looking like. Because those two add the complexity, they add the dimension, they add the different tricks and combos that can do it. It's not one dimensional. And I think that's what makes it so interesting, those two. And I, and I feel like they have set like a precedent for like, okay, these are cool. Like they're not just actions. They're something that exist and have to be dealt with. Like you see it coming. It's not just... Like you can't be caught off guard. Like, well, Keyfrog, obviously, to a degree, you can. But Obsidian Forge, you know, that's not happening the turn it comes out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of interesting in that sense that they have a little bit more complexity, and you see it coming. It's not going to be just suddenly sprung on you. And and I find that quite interesting with the concept of of key cheats. Absolutely. Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. We like to call this one Help, Help from Future from Self. Future self. Sydney, do you have a lesson that you could impart to our listeners, a little piece of advice, something that you think about when you're playing Keyforge, something for them to think about during their games? I actually, I have a quick and easy one from the uh, qualifiers this last weekend. I was playing my deck and I had everything in hand and I was very excited about everything that was going on. And I had completely forgotten that um, there's a, a Star Alliance card, Antony, it's spelled differently than it sounds, but it gives you an amber back after you, at the end of your turn. So when you play it, it captures all your opponent's amber. But when it, when at the end of your turn, move one amber into your opponent's pool. So slowly you get that back. And I completely forgot that. And I ended up killing my opponent's Antony completely unnecessary. And they, um, too much to protected me after that 
and I knew they had it in their deck and I didn't need to kill the Antony because I, I, all I needed was one and it was going to give it back to me and I completely forgot. So that was, that was my, my lesson from this weekend. Was that a legacy TMTP? Yes. That is pretty cool. I know. It was insane. Yeah. That does that's sound a, insane. That is a good one. I, I know exactly what you're saying is when you, um, you forget this little thing. Like I've gotten burned on Antony in other ways too, where you forget that you're getting the ember back. And, mm-hmm. it's, and you do things that are like kind of unnecessary to deal with it or in the reverse where I have it and I forget it. Like I literally like take my opponent off check only to realize that Anthony's going to put them back in check when I pass and they forge a key, mm-hmm. like things like that. Oh, the complexity of cards. <laughs> you can find us online at HFFS podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and on uh, Twitter and uh, also on the Crucible. Sydney, where can they find you? So I, I spend a lot of time on multiple different discords and I'm on TCO all the time, but I don't really have a, um, any media going on right now. So you can just find me at SC Steel on the discords or on TCO. And Blake, where can they find you? What have you got going on? First off, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Spymaster and Awaldus who um, donated their some of their KFPL refund to us to support the podcast. Uh, thanks to both of you for, for doing that. It was a very kind gesture. And um, you can find me on Twitter and uh, on TCO under Boulevard Blake. That's BLVD Blake. Same for my Twitch, which I do every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific. And then my YouTube's under Boulevard Paper Fights still, where you can find all my other uh, fun videos and musings in my own mind. One last question. Sydney, it's been so wonderful having you on the show. Would you consider coming back for another appearance sometime soon? I would absolutely love to. Thank you. All right. I'm going to take you up on that. Until then, stay safe.